Shelton. It's Dainer and Jay. Right, the presenting sponsor for today's episode of Hear That Podcast, Gryland, is Visa, a network for everyone. Welcome into the podcast. Pauliner Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic are here with you. Jay, how we doing? Doing great. Looking forward to this trip to Detroit where uh, Bengal fans out there, if you've ever wondered what it was like to be a Patriots fan or a Cowboys fan, some of those teams that have had dynasties, this is your week. The Bengals absolutely own the Detroit Lions. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only time they can say that. Uh, I, we, I will talk about this more. We're going to talk to Chris Burke, who covers the Lions for us and also has a podcast that is called one of these years uh which is kind of the alternate working title we had for this podcast basically <laughs> i believe when we first came up with it it was going to be called 29 years and counting and then we were going to change it every year uh as as our tip of the cap to the playoff drought of which Detroit also has an epic playoff drought it's the two playoff drought teams going against each other the playoff win drought um these are two very 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 similar franchises they're they're the NFC Bengals it's like the same stuff talented players long droughts angst-ridden fan base number one overall pick quarterback who asked for a trade i mean you get down to the very nitty-gritty it's like every time i was listening to the podcast the other day they they talked about how long till the players get lionized <laughs> as if bengalize hasn't already been part of the natural x gun on cincinnati for decades it's just it's wild when you start comparing the two sides against each other um but i anticipate i anticipate a fun one i i do i think Yes, I, I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be close. It, it is. I was joking about how they own the Lions. It's it, it it's not really a joke because they do. They've won nine out of the last ten against them. They have a six game winning streak against the Lions, which is their their longest active streak against any team. And if they win Sunday, it'll tie their longest winning streak against any team. But obviously, these teams only play every four years, so it's it's not quite the same. Um, but. Last time the the Bengals lost in Detroit was 1970. Wow. The last time the Bengals played the Lions, it saved Marvin Lewis's job for another year in front of 23,000 people at Paul Brown Stadium right before Christmas. <laughs> in a really depressing atmosphere, if I remember correctly. That was that was the week after Minnesota when he quit, right? Uh yeah, I yeah, think I've, so. I've, it was a couple of games in there. I don't know if it was the week or the week after, but it was uh, it was somewhere in there. Um, either way, uh, there's a lot to get to with this game, which we will do. Uh, we'll get to Chris Burke. We'll, of course, have our run passer boot, growler bet, and predictions. Growler bet is not going to be easy this week. I refuse to let it be easy. Done with the winners. Too many winners. <laughs> so we're going to get a little sadistic as we're one to do. Um, I have a story up now on the site um, about Chidobe Awuzie, who has really quickly emerged as the Bengals' number one receiver and probably doesn't get enough credit for how well he played in shadowing Devontae Adams on Sunday, not only with teach tape pick, uh, you know, turning into last second and pinning Devonte uh, uh, back against the the sideline, but you know, I th 
he he only allowed six completions for 89 yards on 10 targets and a pick, which considering he went for 206, the vast majority of the plays that Adams made was when they worked him away from Cheeto. And uh, he's really played well, but I, I, I actually talked to him a while back and had been playing the story and he got hurt. So I was really happy to get it up on, on his background, his heritage. And, and he's just one of the most interesting players I've ever talked to. He's, he's well-read and multifaceted and super nice and thoughtful and engaging. I, I just really enjoyed the conversation and there's a lot I just couldn't get into the story. There was too much there from our conversation. So I've got most of it here for you. We're going to get, it's going to be about 17 minutes. An interview with, with Cheeto, um, who, who is someone that you all should get to know is just a really interesting guy. And if you want to know more about him again, that story is up on the website. So we'll bring you that and talk a little bit about that. But first, um, news wise, uh, Joe Burrow's on voice rest. Joe Burrow's on voice rest. We have to talk very quietly about it. Uh, couldn't talk to the media because he's on voice rest, I guess, even though it sounds like everything's normal and fine in the huddle and there's zero issues with him playing Sunday. Um, really, any excuse you can give for Joe to not have to talk to us I'm, or anybody not to talk to yeah. us, I'm pretty sure it's going to happen. So we'll, for now, maybe we'll get him Thursday. I don't know. They're said that they're going to attempt to make that. Maybe we'll end up in a Q&A. Maybe we'll do like like our Q&As that we do on the site. We can let them use our, use our athletic dashboard if they want. Do a group chat. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Let's go. Uh, so, but for right now, they're kind of trying to limit his speaking, allegedly. So um, we haven't heard from him this week, but that's that's fine. He's going to be playing and, and no issues. Was a full participant in practice. Um, what other news do we have? Not, not Joe Mixon's looking good um, as far as, you know, he was out there in practice and he's going to be good to go on Sunday coming off that, you know, playing limited this past week on the ankle. Um, and other injuries, you know, I think they'll probably – nothing startling on the injury report thus far. No. Um, Trey Hopkins with another maintenance day on his knee. Uh, Darius Phillips sat out with an illness. Um it's he had some as he always does curious tweets this morning, uh, but you never know if it has to do with football or not. Uh, you, you would you would assume he would be back. Um, Quentin Spain, I didn't see him at practice yesterday. They did list him as limited, so he must have showed up after we left. Personal uh, reasons. Personal reason, yeah. Um, and the curious one is Deontay Smith. Uh, it limited as a with a knee. Um, if if Jackson Carmen can't come off the COVID list, he's gonna Deontay Smith is going to be the starter. Um, it, not ideal for a rookie making his first NFL start to be dealing with with any sort of ding on the knee. Neither guy um, off the COVID list at this point, either Samaj P. Ryan or mm-hmm. Jackson Carmen. Still time for that, but we we shall see. Who knows how those tests will come back. What I want to talk about here in our main segment, though, off the top, is is the offense, and we've been touching on it. We've been talking about it during the week in different ways and, and sort of I kind of spent the last couple of days going a little bit further into it and, and uncovered some interesting things beyond what, what we had already talked about. And, and that is when you really try to isolate what's happening and, every, you know, everybody just wants to yell play calling and scream that stuff. And that's fine. And there's a place for that. I, I think that's lazy. Um, 
in a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot that goes into that. Uh, here's the thing about this team offensively, who has been mediocre on that side of the ball. They have been really good at the hard things. Hmm. Hitting deep balls, scoring in the red zone, things that a lot of teams never do. That, honestly, that they never did last year at, at all. Yet it's their primary weapons. They're very good at deep ball. They're very good at scoring in the red zone. And they are horrid at the easy things. They're not converting third and shorts. You know, and, and that's what leads to them being 40% three and out rate, top of the league. You know, and not extending drives that way, getting themselves into manageable positions, not putting themselves behind the sticks, being explosive over the top, scoring in the red zone. But the easy stuff, the layups, is what's killing them. Now, I don't know if that's reason for optimism or pessimism. It probably depends on how much you've been drinking. (laughs) But that's what's happening is they are not doing the easy things. They're poor at the easy things. That's got it got to be insanely frustrating for everyone associated with this offense. And it, it it's just the the way they start these games. It's it's not like they they convert a couple third downs and then miss on a on a third and short. It it's it's all or nothing. They they it's either a scoring drive or a three and out it seems like and they are they they are fourth from the bottom in the league in average distance to to a first down on third downs. They're averaging 7.54. So when you get those short ones, you have to convert those. And it it just it it defies belief because Tyler Boyd is maybe the best in the league at that. And and you've got that guy. And now you've got new weapons in Chase and and Higgins is back and you can throw to Mixon or Evans out of the backfield. It's just it is really baffling how they they are struggling in such an easy endeavor as third and short and really third down overall. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. All right, Jay, here we go. Paul's got stats. Thanks to all True right. Media. All right. Here's the thing. You can isolate this all the way down to one very simple Sentence. Stop running on third and short. Stop doing it. You stink at it. It's awful. Here's what's happened. Here's what's happened. If you really break down all the third and shorts, which Zach Taylor spoke to us about uh, on Wednesday about how you know they viewing third, really third and one to five, that range has been killer for them. They're fine when they throw it. They rank 10th in the league at converting the third downs when they throw the ball on third and one to five, converting 56%. Okay. And they've called a pass 68% of the time, which is right in the middle, 16th. That they're, they're, that's a very standard amount that you would do run to pass ratio. Except when they have run it, They are dead last by a country mile. 20% have converted. That's 32nd. The Falcons are 33%. No one else is below 40. The average for the league is 64%. 
The league average of running for a first down on third and short is 64%, and they're at 20. That They, they can't do it. They can't do it. And so when you talk about why are they scoring 24 points a game versus 30 points a game or 28 points a game, whatever you want them to be at, that would put them in the top 10. It's, it's, it's an extra driver to converting. And it's this. That is, in this case, eight drives that have ended trying to run on third and short unsuccessfully. Okay, if you're at just the league average, that's four more drives that continue. And when you're 100 percent at scoring in the red zone like they are, that typically ends up in touchdowns. And so I think there's kind of a simple observation from this without being too predictable is to stop running the ball on third and short. Um, and, and maybe that's something that, you know, there's a reaction to that reaction and, and it goes on throughout the season. But when you're doing a real analysis, Jay, that on those 10 runs, you know how many yards they've gained on those 10 runs? 14. Five. <laughs> oh my God. Five yards. <laughs> Five yards on those. Now, granted, there's some sneaks, some unsuccessful sneaks involved in this, but for the most part, critical downs. Game-changing short down and distance drive extenders. Most, a lot of these have come in the first half. Have gotten ju- not just nothing, like beyond nothing. A half a yard per carry. It's been killer for them. That is really the, 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 the root. The root of all offensive evil for them right now. Well, it's not just that they can't do it. It's that they keep trying. Do, do you have that sortable table up? Where do they rank in terms of attempts, rushing attempts on third and short? They have to be at the top of the league. The Well, the 31 total third and shorts is is in the top 10. So okay. they, they've consistently, as much as any team, been in those manageable positions. Um and they're calling it at a, at an average level. So yeah, I mean, I think they're above. It's they're not at the very top, um, but th- you know, yeah, they're up there. Um, again, it's it's not that the you know the play percentage is out of whack. It's just they just ha- can't run the ball in the, in those situations. And that's an offensive line problem. That's an interior offensive line problem. That's a everyone knowing what you're doing problem. You know, I mean, there's a lot that bakes into that, but I think the answer is what a lot of answers should be around here. Just can you just let Joe Burrow go do it? That's that's exactly right because I I think that part of it you mentioned the O line and all the other reasons that I think part of it too is is trying to preserve Joe Burrow. I mean, how many on third and short? How many times do you see the Chiefs do this constantly? But a lot of teams do it where they sprint the quarterback out. And you you get the quarterback running with a receiver, cutting across, going the same direction as him. It's almost impossible to stop. And if if it is way too tight coverage, you, you can see the quarterback taking off and getting those couple short yards. You, they they don't they want Joe Burrow to slide. They want him to take as few hits as possible, um, and just and just sprinting him out. It, it kind of exposes him to to a hit even after throwing it. But that that's where you see a lot of those third and shorts succeed where they, they move the quarterback out of the pocket and, and get him 
on the run, throwing to somebody else that's running right along parallel with him. And, and the Bengals just haven't done that. I wonder if it, if we'll see more of it as they get more comfortable in Joe exposing himself a little more or if they'll do more of it because what they're doing now is not working. I, I think that there's a recognition of the failure. And in mm-hmm. talking to people, you know, talking to Brian Callahan, offensive coordinator, talking to Zach Taylor yesterday, you know, talking to some of the players, there's a recognition of the failure, and 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 I think a self scout and analysis that they've ta- taken on from that, and particularly after the game against Green Bay, where it was so noticeable. Yeah. Um, and so that's good, and I think that I think that will create change a little bit, and they're looking at the same things that we're talking about. They they know better than we do. Not just the numbers, but why it's happening. And the the other side of this is, and and I, and I, you get into phil- philosophy, and and I saw a lot of people circulating Seth Galina's piece on Pro Football Focus, which I take some issue with some of the stuff in there, which was, I just take some issue with some of the stuff in there. Uh, but there's, you look at third and long. They're actually converting at a better rate at third and long than they are in third and short. So if you from seven to twelve in that range is they're converting at forty three percent. You know, I I just think that you talk about things like third and short. Like I, I just think that the tables turn on that. I just don't see that as being a thing that a team just can't do all season. You mm. tell me a team can't hit a deep all season. You tell me a team can't score in a red zone all season. I'll believe that. Like that is a bigger picture stuff. Converting third and short, especially when you have Joe Burrow, like I just don't believe that's going to be a thing that's going to go on. That feels fixable. So when people talk about fixable problems, everybody wants stuff to turn into these big picture indictments on everything that's going on. I I just am not really ready to go there yet when I when you really look at it and it just feels like it has a little bit more simple solutions to than that. Um and and may and, and you know maybe I'm looking at it too closely and and maybe people will you know want to scream me about play action rates and want to scream me about predictability and want to talk about isolating matchups and too much empty and all sorts of stuff that you can make on one random watching one game uh, of the Bengals uh, and and throwing a bunch of numbers out there. There's there's numbers everywhere, okay, and 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 everybody wants the play caller to suck, right? It's always. <laughs> It's, it goes back to Bob Bradkowski and to there is I actually had a conversation with somebody about is there a single fan base in this country that likes their play caller <laughs> it doesn't have a tier one quarterback and I thought about it and I was like yeah I bet there is I bet I you know what I know Kyle Shanahan hmm. so I googled Kyle Shanahan. <laughs> play caller and the first thing that came up was blame kyle shanahan for loss to cardinals <laughs> because he couldn't get trey lance to like be great in his debut against the undefeated cardinals <laughs> and it's like there is no it's it's just what you yell when you're mad about the offense but when you really break it down and you isolate it i think there can be a little bit more optimism about this is a simple situation about what's really stopping them, um, you know, and that can all change. The NFL flips, but I mean, I think for now, I, I I don't think it's some grand disaster that everybody wants it to be. 
And it's going to be really interesting to watch because not just for this reason, whether the Bengals haven't been able to do it, but it, it's really weird. Detroit is bad at a lot of things defensively. And I think they're 30th in DVOA defensively. They are number two in the league in third down defense. And that's, that's remarkable for a team that doesn't do almost anything right. They are really good somehow at getting off the field on third down and it's something the Bengals are struggling with. That that could a lot of times that's where a game is won and lost. That in the turnover battle. It could especially be what tells the tale Sunday is is if the Bengals can figure out how to convert these third and shorts and and do it against a team that's really good at, at stopping them. There is no doubt, um, and and I think there's going to be a, a lot of interesting conversations about what does happen in Detroit. Because, like you said, you're right. Uh, I have I have them 29th on DVOA in the next three weeks. Uh, Baltimore's 22nd, and the Jets are 21st. These are not world beating defenses. I mean, if you watch the Monday night game, and and I, I hope people did because it was outstanding. But you also saw Carson Wentz just dicing up that Baltimore defense for a while, and um, I think that gives you some excitement about what the Bengals could do in Baltimore. I, I just there's a lot of time for these these trends to to change themselves, and maybe it gets worse. Like, I mean, look the the fact that you're mediocre and you have all your weapons mostly healthy, and you are getting Chase to go over the top and score. Like, that's an issue, I, and I just and it's one that they're gonna have to figure out. Um, I just I think that it tends to be um, a little more nuanced than just yelling the play calling sucks, which is something that everybody wants to do um let's let's move on i want i want to bring in my interview with uh cheeto Awuzie. um cheeto is i mean he's just a super interesting guy i i interviewed him it was actually i want to say it was before the jacksonville game or before the pittsburgh game i talked to him i want to say it's been a while i wanted to do this story and then he got hurt and it was like, is he going to play? And he didn't play against Jacksonville. And so he held, that, held it through that week. I was like, well, whenever he comes back, I'll do it. And I started gathering other interviews. And then he came out against Green Bay and not only played, but got an interception of Aaron Rodgers and chatted him. I'm sitting there the whole game, and I'm like – Cheeto, just please stay healthy so I can write this story this week. <laughs> I don't want to hold it back anymore. It's too late. It's, the time is now. And uh, so it was. And thankfully, he came back after getting dinged up midway through the game and uh, was able to put the story out this week. And and I just want you guys to kind of get to know him a little bit because um, I, I really enjoy talking to him. So here is uh, my interview with Cheeto Bay Awuje. Well, I wanted I wanted to kind of just talk, I'm just I, I'm really in, intrigued by your story. First of all, congrats, man! You've been playing so well; it's been fun to watch uh, since you got here. But like, are you used to living out east yet? I mean, you're you know you came up in San Jose, you know, and you were in Colorado and Dallas. I mean, have you gotten used to kind of being uh, in, in a different spot and find some comfort out here yet? Um, I, I definitely have. Uh, actually, half of my well, my mom's side of the family stays in New York. So I used to go out there a lot and that's like far, far east. But um, one thing before I came out here that my dad told me was like, he said, you're in hours. Yeah, like you can adapt anywhere. And that, that gave me the confidence ever since then to, you know, go to any place and, 
you know, make friends, make it like home and, you know, be comfortable. And just, you know, coming out here, I had a goal in mind. So that also helped me as well. So, yeah. How often you talk to your dad? Oh, every day. Every yeah. day I talk to my parents. Yeah. My dad just left yesterday and my mom's still here. So um, I, have, I have the type of parents who, you know, very involved. Um, my dad just retired, so he's been bored, and you know, so he's real involved now. Yeah, huh? real involved now. <laughs> you know, all my all, everything that's going on, he wants to see if he can help. So uh, I'm definitely blessed. Yeah, I didn't mean to stalk your Instagram, but the video of him dancing had me rolling. That was oh. so so great. So <laughs> yeah. I'm like, I love this. I love this. Yeah, that's the type. Is of he guy. just that type of guy? Is he just like just laid back like that? Yeah, my parents left to just enjoy life. You know, they don't they don't really need too much. Obviously, coming from Nigeria. Um, to America, and then now being able both are retired, um, they're able to enjoy their time and doing things they want to do. So um, it's definitely that type of energy has been since I've grown up with my parents. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you're obviously they came over from Nigeria. I mean, mm. how much does that affect you? I mean, how is that still so much a part of you now, even now? You know that that heritage for you. It's it's the ultimate uh, definer or definition of me, I would say, you know, um, just being raised in that home was like an extension of their upbringing and how they were raised. And then using those values that they taught me and um, just seeing them and how they interact with people. Um, it's definitely helped me when I went to school, when I had to make friends. It's just, you know, very, you know, humble, very hardworking, um, not judging anyone. Just it's all about the work, you know. As someone, a good person, um, it's, it's all translates to how I've been and how I've grown as a man. Yeah, I mean, what is that like? I mean, is there a community of like you know Nigerian immigrants or like people that are that connect within a community within a community type of thing when you were coming up, or was that hard to find? Yeah, I think that was definitely that's definitely how I would describe it. Um, growing up, you know, there was at least. I would say at least probably a hundred families or more in the Bay area and each family knew each other. Um, and so on the weekends, we'd always have an event, like whether it be meetings or um, even church and sometimes unfortunately weight keepings, um, parties, general parties. And, you know, every time we would come, you know, our parents, uncles, aunties, cousins, we'd, they'd all dress in such like elegant gear, you know, elegant gear, they'd always dance, eat good food. The kids would always kind of do their own thing and play. That was me. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, growing up in that environment, you know, it definitely taught me, you know, how much family and community matters to uh, raise a child. I don't think I would have been raised um, in the same manner unless I was raised with you know, an uncle or auntie and, you know, family, friends, being able to discipline me, talk to me in the manner that they did. It helped me become the man I am. I mean, that's like, do you still, when you go back there, I mean, do you still see those people? Do you still connect that way? Is that still something that, that's a part of you now when you go back, if you do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what keeps me uh, grounded is uh, going back to those uh you know, communities. And also, um, I have a lot of little cousins um, who are growing up in the same way that I did, getting to see them and be the older, you know, brother, older cousin. Um, it really feeds my soul in the right way. So that always, when I, anytime I go home, I always make it an emphasis to see everyone. I try to drive to this person's house, this person's house. If there's an event, I'll be there. It just really, you know, feeds my soul. It's like what life's about to me. All right, let's just take a quick break. 
Are you, uh, I mean, I've, I've seen you when you dress up, whether for road trips or whatever. I mean, you're in, you got kind of, you seem to have like a, a touch of that and everything. I don't know. Do you have like a fashion line or something that I thought maybe I saw or, or that's yeah. kind of connected with that? Yeah. So I'm starting a, a fashion line um, called I Was Yeah. And I Was Yeah is my last name. And it basically means I have arrived. And um, I thought it was just very fitting. That, you know, like I said, growing up, seeing them wear these elegant stuff, it's like every it's like the great Gatsby, you know, like everybody just kind of arrives in their own flavor and their own elegance. And growing up, I didn't really realize it. But then I'm like, when I got to this, I'm like, whoa, like these things are these things look elegant. This looks like a designer, you know, the fabrics are real nice. So um, I'm, I'm trying to start, you know, a fashion line, hopefully to drop in 2022. Um, yeah. But I'm definitely going to be dropping looks every week to kind of showcase the type of fashion. Well, the one I, I guess the one that was up from, I don't know if it was whenever it was, the recent one that you had. I mean, is that is that part of that, the one that you were wearing on, up on your Instagram? Or was that is that just like something that you just regularly wear and you're just kind of given an idea of what it will look like? Yeah, so that's that, that's definitely part of that. Um, it has the I was yeah, tag label on it and everything. I had a guy, uh, a couple of designers who work for me who, you know, can basically make anything. And my goal is to kind of make like one of one pieces right now. And then kind of gauge the demand, gauge the interest of people. And I've got a lot of teammates or former teammates reaching out, fans reaching out. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of getting things under wraps right now. But um, I definitely just want to highlight my culture, which has raised me. And that's pretty much my goal is just to highlight my culture and kind of promote um, positivity. Yeah, I mean, that's that's all. Have you, have you always wanted to do that? I don't know. Were you a business at Colorado or what were you? What was yeah. your major? Yeah. yeah, I was a business major, operations management. Never been a fashionable person by any means. You know what I'm saying? Never been really heavy into it. Um, I think this kind of uh, passion I have for this is kind of more to highlight um, Afri African identity in a positive way. And I just found it easy with my profession. You know, we're always traveling. Um, voice out a photographer taking pictures, like why not highlight something that could, you know, make some people proud of who they are and also give an insight into um, a different way to wear uh, something. I'm pretty sure you would look good in it. You went to a wedding or an event or even to the store, you know, this casual wear. Yeah. I'm on board. I'm on board. Maybe you'll see me uh, one of these games this year. You hook me up. Well, I'll have to have to show up in it. I'm for sure. I love it. Yeah. I mean, it's it. it, it Ebo, right, is like, is that kind of your, yeah, I mean, I, I see you You talk a lot about that. I mean, is that kind of the same thing? Like, that's just, is there's a connection, right, in the league. There's a lot of, pl there's players with that connection, too. Have you kind of found that bond across the league and been able to pick out who, who has that same connection? Yes, definitely. And, um, you know, being Ebo, obviously, come, I, I, I take pride in, you know, it because it raised my parents, the culture, the people, um, and it raised me as well. But at the end of the day, I kind of have steered more towards trying to find the links that bring us all together. You know, so um, that's what I'm really, you know, when I talk to people who are um, American, African-American, Mexican-American, you know, I, I find it now when I'm in conversation, you know, finding parallels between cultures. You know, it makes it makes me very, uh, you know, passionate to, to learn about different cultures and then find the, the similarities as well. So. Um, that's that's kind of what I want to do as well is kind of find things that connect us and do things that connect us more than separate us. That's awesome. That's yeah. awesome. I mean, that's that's kind of it, to find fashion even as a way to do that is really cool because everybody, you know, everybody just wants to look good. Right. I mean, it's kind of the same the same idea. And it's like to be able to bring that. That's really neat. I love that. It was funny. I was just you were the pick 
where Drew Pearson went bananas for the Cowboys <laughs> and off off the field. <laughs> I mean, you have this moment. Like you talk about the moment of walking across the special moment, like the moment of hearing your your name. It's supposed to be a special thing. And like, here's this dude just going nuts. Like, yeah. have you ever did you get to splice it down to like where he just says your name, <laughs> or do you listen to the whole thing whenever you show somebody your draft pick? Yeah, so funny story is my mom loves that. Oh yeah, <laughs> my mom would replay that. When it happened, she played it at least like 30 times a day, just laughing. You know, my parents are there, they're easily entertained. So, yeah. Uh, yeah they, and then my dad got to meet Drew Pearson uh, one time at an autograph signing and shook his hand and gave him the Super Bowl ring. I was able to put it on. So, um, yeah, it's all about, again, my parents are all about just, just enjoying life. And I hope to be the same. Uh, what, what's the best part of living and playing in Dallas? Uh, the best part, uh, probably. Um, well, no taxes. <laughs> that's a pretty good part. And yeah, that's a good part. What's the worst part? Uh, the worst part. Well, you have a lot of, I guess it was the first time that I lived on my own outside of college, you know, in college, you have roommates and stuff, but in Dallas, I lived on my own. So I was away from my family, away from my cousins, away from, you know, um, but also gave me the opportunity to grow and to learn how to be on my own two feet and to, you know, have a house, you know, what happens when the water's out or, you know, um, when your pool levels is, aren't correct, the garden is this, you have HOA, you know, all this kind of stuff. I kind of learned that in Dallas. So um, being alone, you can't have positives, but then those are kind of the negatives too, is being alone. Didn't really have help other, other than times that they would come out. Yeah, man, HOA problems. Now you're speaking my <laughs> language, man. <There's, laughs> no, there's no problems like HOA problems. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, I saw that you were talking about how, um, you had read four books this year, made it a point three, four books. What were they? Okay. So I read the alchemist kicked it okay. off. And then, um, I read a book called the garden. It was really, it was a short read mm-hmm. kind of fed my soul and just helped me reset during camp. Um, I read a book called Americana by Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. And she's an Igbo lady, very famous. Okay. writer. And then I read another book by Chinua Echebe. It's called things fall apart. Um, and it, that's another uh, very famed writer in Igbo, Igbo land. So those are the four books I read. Yeah. Why is that important to you to keep up and, and, and be reading books like like that? You know what I mean? Is that, is that just something that just keeps you kind of connected to, to the culture a little bit? Or Well, you know, uh, The Alchemist started it. And when I, once I read that book, I learned so much. You know, I learned so much. Things that you kind of know already, but you don't you know, it's told in a way to where it invigorates your soul and invigorates your mind, helps you think in different ways, gives you really solid points in conversation. Like if someone asked me, you know, oh, I'm thinking about, you know, quitting my job or I'm thinking about um, stepping into my passion. It's like, I can give them a clear answer because I read that book, you know, stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and that started it. And then from there, I kind of just learned that I like books that are interesting to me. You know, I've tried to read the, you know, how to invest in whatever stock books. And yeah, there's times for those type of books, too. But um, a lot of the books that I've been reading lately have been books that genuinely interest me. And uh, I think when uh, the topic interests me, it's easy for me to read. Yeah, that's great. Do you are there do you kind of share some of that with people and guys in the locker room or their teammates? I know Trey Hopkins is a big reader. I don't know if there's a lot of guys you talk about that with or. Yeah, I haven't had those conversations yet. I've, I've yeah. seen, I've seen I'm, I'm still trying to get a beat on everybody's hobbies. I know we have a lot of 
cornhole players, bowling players. <laughs> People like to bowl. Obviously, the Joe Burrow corner and chess. I love to play chess too. Um, yeah, so one of everybody's hobbies. So, yeah. are they playing chess in the locker room these days? A little bit, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. We we have been in there in a while. I didn't know that chess had made its way. It used to just yeah. be like, dude, just swinging ping pong. But now it's taking <laughs> the next level intellectual. I like exactly, that. Exactly, exactly. And that's something that I really enjoy. So, you know, yeah. I see that. So have you gotten have you gotten in there and gotten in the mix? I mean, yeah. are you like, yeah. How are you doing? Undefeated. Undefeated? Yeah. Won't wow. say my opponents. Won't say my opponents. Don't want to disrespect anybody. <laughs> <laughs> just all we need to know is that you haven't lost yet yeah. i like that how'd you get it did you, have you always been into chess has that been like a thing for you um i got into it in college when it was a class we were taking i think it was micro or microeconomics and it was pretty boring <laughs> so me and my two friends we always be on our laptops and obviously we we're paying attention in class but when you know there was an intermission or something we would oh yeah put up the chess on the laptops and start to play and it was, it was so competitive. That's, that's such a competitive game because when someone beats you, it's like, dang, you think you're smarter than me now, huh? <laughs> it's just like, that's that's not a good feeling. So uh, that's when it started, probably like 2015. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, you know, everything comes back to football. And as much as we hear football talked about through chess terms, like there has to be some connection like that for you there, I would imagine, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, chess is a great game. It's really, you know, a game of war. And, I, and everybody knows football is a, has elements of war in it. Uh, you have an opponent, you have a winner, you have a loser. And um, chess helped me particularly be able to articulate, be able to prioritize things. You know, you don't want to lose your queen. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to lose your rook before you lose a pawn, maybe. Or a pawn can advance and become a very dangerous piece. So it's all about using your pieces correctly, um, knowing the tactics to, and the defense, defend, the defending tactics as well um, to win the game. And I think it translates very well um, to football. So, Do you feel like you found a home here? And I mean, not just because you actually are here and you signed here for a reason, but like feel... I mean, you seen you said you had new energy. You're playing great. Mm-hmm. Do you do you kind of feel like that's just a, a portion of coming out of you because you feel comfortable and and really like you have a home here? Most definitely, man. I, I'm so thankful to God first and foremost, and the Bengals organization for giving me a chance. Um, came in here and everything that I've wished for to be a successful football player, I've seen it here. Like the culture, um, the coaching. Um, the players, the winning attitude, and not saying that that wasn't anywhere that I was uh, that I was before, but um, it's just heightened here, and it's really um, helped me um, take another step as a player. And I, and I hope to continue take to take steps and to continue to challenge myself and be confident. Um, so yeah, it's a great place for me. All right, I hope everybody enjoyed that interview and getting to know Cheeto a little bit. Uh, super interesting dude, uh, and um, I, I think. You know, the attitude that he's brought, I talked to Steve Jackson and the cornerbacks coach, and he talked about he's just the quintessential glue guy. He just everybody responds to his personality. He's got this like selflessness to him and this work ethic about him that's just part of his culture. Like it's just defines him. And and that's so much who they've been defensively as a team. The personality of their defense has been this hard-working, no-name, don't-care team, first selflessness stuff that they've really promoted that you got to have to be really good defensively on a team with no real superstars. And 
Um, I, I, that's why I think he's more a part of the core of this defense than people probably even realize just by watching him play. Yeah, the talent's one thing, but that just that presence he has. I mean, I was struck the first time they put him on a Zoom after they signed him. He was great. And then, you know, as people heard with your interview with him, he's awesome. The the one that, you know, they bring him in after the Green Bay game into the press conference room and you're wondering what he's going to be like then. Because a lot of times they – the even players that are really good after a loss, they just want to get out of there and they're really short. And he walks in – wearing this outfit that you you talk about in the piece just this this bright red and yellow that celebrates his heritage and he was terrific. I mean it was one of the best post game interviews. I mean he they just gave up 206 yards to Devontae Adams. He was on him most of the time and he seemed like he had nowhere to be. He just wanted to sit there and chat with us and it it just it really resonated with me that that you know this you can see why guys latch on to him and why he's already a leader on this defense. One of the most interesting aspects of the story is I kind of just perused through some of the comments real quick was how many people in Dallas are so happy for him, hmm. and, and, and there was like a lot of people just saying they were so happy to see him succeed, and and I've seen that from some of the people that covered him in Dallas have, have reached out about that and like. Um, you know, I talked to George Iloka, who came across him in Dallas, um, and I and I knew that they had a similar background, and and so George is Ebo as well, and so they so they bonded over that and just talked about like, look, this is like one just a stand up a one dude, like great guy, hard, all the things that you know about him, and and George made sure to reach out, and make sure that you know to belabor that point when I talked to him about it, and I just think you noticed that you just said that follows you, and I think that's part of why you know the the Bengals were really intrigued by him the more they kind of got to know who he was in, in free agency. And man, I mean, getting him and Mike Hilton for the cost of William Jackson has been just a fleecing of the system. It has worked out perfectly for them as they're, they're just so much better and deeper uh, with those two guys. Um, let's move on and talk a little bit about this game specifically. Um, and I think the best place to start there would be with Chris Burke, our guy uh, in Detroit who does it as good as anybody. I highly recommend reading him. Even if you just like the NFL, he's incredible on draft stuff too, um, but does a great job with the Lions. And so let's, let's, let's talk to Chris. All right, now it's time to go over to the other side of this game. And Jay, I'm not going to lie. I've been excited about this one for a while. I think, I've, I think I first started talking about this like in the summer. Probably right around draft time. I was like, I just because we we'd been reading a I'd been reading a lot of Detroit for whatever reason when the the the, the Sewell versus Chase stuff and mm-hmm. it just everything that I would ever read out of Detroit I loved reading it because I specifically could just change the. Detroit name and put the Cincinnati name in and either have a story for what I should wrote right or something that I've already written and that's why Chris Burke is here and I'm why I'm just excited to talk about the insane parallels between Detroit and Cincinnati really sad <laughs> sad parallels really they are they it, it's amazing really and, and I'm sure Chris is gonna have some great stuff for us about that I, I wonder if they feel the same up there if, if they kind of look at Cincinnati as kindred spirits yeah, let's let's bring in Chris Burke, who's the host of one of these years, which I 
I listened to the other day just to just to get even more of the parallels. And one, we are originally going to call this podcast 29 Years and Counting uh, and change it to every year of the, the playoff drought until they get the playoff win. Uh, so one of these years is really kind of – that feels just right. Chris, how are we doing? Uh, I'm doing all right. I was trying to do the math on – the lions, uh, what the lions number would be if we'd gone with the year. So I think we're at about, I think we're at thirty since the playoff win, and that's the only playoff win they've ever had in the Super Bowl era. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, you might you might be the one person who was excited about this matchup when the schedule came. <laughs> out. <laughs> oh, I'm positive. There's not. Well, you know, when you when you cover teams like this, and I actually heard you guys on the podcast use the word lionized. Um, because <laughs> yeah, Bengalized yeah. is a term that is part of the natural lexicon around here. Like you, there's an appreciation for the fan bases and for what it's like to cover that, and just the exasperation that's involved. And there, you, you almost um, almost enjoy it. So it's kind of a sickness. It, uh, it man, it is. It's something. Yeah, especially even this year for the Lions. Like they knew it was going to be bad. They knew this team was going to have to kind of scratch and claw to get to any wins they got to, and now already twice in the last three weeks they've lost on a six NFL record sixty six yarder, and then the Vikings, who are like notorious for missing kicks, uh, <laughs> make a fifty four yarder or whatever at the end. So even by Lions standards, kind of reeling a little bit uh, this year. I I do think it. Like I think that part of it'll be fun. I'm guessing like I'm sure a lot of Bengals fans will be coming up for this game, right? I'm guessing it'll be a pretty pretty good split in that stadium. Lions fans have kind of been uh not overtaken, but th- there's certainly been a, a big visiting fan element over the first couple games of this year and, you know, the last couple years as they weren't very good. So that'll be I mean that might spice up the environment a little bit because if it was just Lions fans, I don't I don't know how lively it would be in there, so I think that'll be fun on Sunday for sure, just to get all these uh, long-suffering folks together and see how it goes. <laughs> I think I can all swap stories, you know? It's it's good. I'm just happy. You know, I really thought for a moment there that you guys were actually going to hire Marvin Lewis, and we would just and we would be the ultimate kindred spirits. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think he was one of the names that they considered. <laughs> I, I mean, I it was a weird sort of coaching search because i do think matt campbell was one of the names they pursued pretty heavily and at some point along the the road that fell apart dan campbell even made a joke in his introductory press conference so like when my agent called the lions and told them i was interested i told them to say it it was Matt on the other side (laughs) on the other end of the line so um but yeah i mean marvin lewis i think was intriguing to them for the reasons some of the reasons that Jim Caldwell had been intriguing to them and then they fired Jim Caldwell and everything kind of fell apart. And so there was, they were sort of at this uh, spot where do you go something completely different, which is what they ended up doing with Dan Campbell, or do you go to something that we know will kind of work here and get a guy who's just going to be a really good players coach and, uh, you know, just like an upstanding person. And, uh, but the Dan Campbell, from a media perspective, the Dan Campbell situation's probably been, the more ideal choice, I would think. You you mentioned Dan. I mean, he's had maybe two of the most memorable press conferences of the year. The first, the introductory one about knee biting, and then the one last week where he, he actually cried. I was wondering, 
how that how that's kind of gone over up there. I, I, you don't typically see that from a coach, but I'm sure Lions fans, like Bengals fans, have been crying for years. Did that? Did they? Did they embrace that, or did they think, "Oh gosh, what do we have here"? I, I mean, I think they embraced it. I think the players probably, uh, you know, raised an eyebrow at first before, especially that first press conference before they'd really met Campbell. Like, uh, is this? Is this guy serious? But um, you know the thing on Sunday where he kind of got teared up after the uh, choked up after the loss. Um, you know, I think by this point they appreciate just how much he cares about this, and uh, that he, you know, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons I think that they hired him was that he very much knows sort of the challenges of this particular franchise. He knows that like when Justin Tucker lines up for a sixty-six yarder you're thinking, oh, well, he's definitely going to make this. Like, that's just a very <laughs> Lions thing. Uh, and I think Dan Campbell knows and appreciates that. And so that was that certainly appealed to the ownership here. Um, and I think the fan, bra- fan base is just, uh, at least to this point, has embraced, you know, just uh, that he is willing to wear his heart on his sleeve and that he, you know, is willing to embrace just kind of the, the – the horrible history this franchise has had and, you know, talk about a brighter future and all that. So, you know, I don't know if it holds up if they go one in 16 this year and start next year on five. But for the moment, I think he he's got a lot of support in the area. We saw here um, a number one overall draft pick quarterback have success and heartbreak uh, and then leave um, on in very interesting fashion. Um, and then Matt Stafford had his run in Detroit. How, how has Detroit handled that and, <laughs> and the, the, the change over now to Jared Goff? Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been interesting. <laughs> they actually play in LA next week. And then, you know, I have a feeling I'm going to go out there for that game. And, um, my guess is there's going to be like, 30,000 Lions fans there most of them wearing Matthew Stafford jerseys just because you know they they love the guy so much and I think they do uh you know I think they do want him to have success it's it's weird it's uh this just happened here with the Tigers when they traded away Justin Verlander they traded away Max Scherzer and then those guys went and won World Series elsewhere and I think people were happy for them but at the same time you're like well man that I really wish this would have worked here. I wish we would have seen them win with the team they've been with for a long time. And so I think it's sort of the same thing with Stafford where it's, um, you know, he did, I think everything he could have been asked to do in Detroit, he always, you know, represented the team. Well, he did a ton of great work in the community here, uh, and continues to do so. So I think he's really a, a beloved player. Um, but, with every bit of success he has there, I think there is that little tinge of jealousy that uh, the Lions never could figure it out, never could put that kind of talent around him. I mean, there is sort of the subset of fans that um, thinks the reason they didn't get over the top with Matthew Stafford was because Matthew Stafford wasn't good enough to get them over the top. And and so, uh, you know, those folks are were probably more than ready to move on. And I think a lot of people knew it was time to move on. Um, it almost kind of felt like it was a year or two late, honestly, when they uh, when he put in his trade request. Like if if Bob Quinn, the, the previous GM, had traded him two off seasons ago and then drafted a quarterback, I, I think that would have made sense for a lot of reasons. So 
I don't know. It's it is sort of an interesting uh, dynamic to to see how Lions fans are approaching Stafford and the Rams and all that this year. It, obviously, they didn't draft a quarterback. The, the another one of those parallels where I mean, Bengals fans, Bengals organization has zero buyer's remorse. Jamar Chase has been incredible, but the the whole debate in the offseason with with Chase versus Sewell. Just curious from from your standpoint, how Panay Sewell has looked so far and um is he going to get flipped this week do you, do you think Decker's going to be back uh it's a little hard to say on Decker I think they are hoping Decker is back and if he's back I think they will flip Sewell um you know Sewell practiced all offseason they practiced all offseason with Decker at left tackle and Sewell at right tackle and Frank Ragnow at center who's now out for the year so mm-hmm. you've also lost uh, probably your best offensive lineman period but um you know, Sewell was – it was pretty rough for Sewell in the preseason at right tackle, and I think he started to settle down a little towards the end of the preseason and the end of camp, and then, you know, Decker got hurt, and they had to flip him on like five days' notice to to left tackle, and he played pretty well there the first couple games. It's been rougher the last two, three. So, you know, I don't know. I, there's sort of a short-term and a long-term discussion here. I think short-term, putting Decker at left tackle – and Sewell at right tackle probably gives you your best line right now. Sewell hasn't been playing that well on the left the last couple of weeks. Deckers hasn't played right tackle since college. So um, that'd be asking a lot to you know flip those guys from where they were all spring and summer. Long term, presumably Sewell's their franchise left tackle. So at some point, you know, you you do have to make that move. And I don't know, you know, if it's now or maybe next offseason, the offseason after that. Decker's a really good offensive lineman, and I think that's sort of getting lost in the conversation here. Like, he's one of the best players on a team that's not very good. So um, I think he'll play on the left. Uh, Sewell's been – he's a really, really good run blocker, which is important for them because they want to run the football. They want to, you know, establish tempo, control the clock, all those things. And so they're just hoping that the pass protection sort of catches up as as his – as he gets settled in here, I mean, he's just turned 21. He's still ridiculously young. <laughs> he's got these incredible athletic traits. So I, I think it'll be good in the long run. You don't have to uh, mention how big of a loss Frank Ragnow is to Bengals fans who've just wistfully looked at him over the years as uh, they saw the Lions stole him f- from right underneath them, one pick ahead of them having to take Billy Price a year they needed a center who did not work out. Uh, it was recently traded to the Giants, um, and th- those those dreams being dashed. How much have injuries, though, been just the ultimate kick in the stomach here, kind of for the Lions? Who are you? Like you said, you already knew you were going to go through growing pains, and the other. Right. But it just seems like you look across the whole roster, and it's just a decimation, really, right? Yeah, it's kind of been crazy um, because I think that they, yeah, they knew going in that they. We're going to have to lean on some really young guys. They weren't going to be all that deep. And now, you know, they they are the two wide receivers they signed to be their one-two in the offseason were Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman. And Williams uh, might be done for the season with concussion. Perriman didn't even make the roster. Now they lost Quintez Sivas, who stepped up as their num- new number one. So, you know, you're in essence down your top three receivers. You lost Decker and Ragnow, who are two like Pro Bowl caliber offensive lineman, you're not going to be getting Ragnow back. Uh, they gave Romeo Okora a huge contract in the offseason. He was their best defensive player. He's hurt. Jeff Okuda at cornerback was uh, their number one there. He's down. So it's kind of been ridiculous that they, not just losing P. 
pieces, but losing pieces that they thought were going to be the foundation of this this season. So, um, you know, I think that that's probably been one of the most impressive things for Dan Campbell and this coaching staff, especially defensive coordinator Aaron Glenn. You know, there's that they're hanging in these games. And, you know, defensively, I think like they had that Baltimore game against Lamar Jackson pretty much won with a secondary full of guys a lot of people haven't ever heard of. And they really shut down Minnesota last week in the second half. And so they're hanging in there and playing pretty well. But yeah, I mean, they're doing it with, for the most part, uh, you know, guys that are either here on one year deals or a bunch of undrafted free agents, things like that. So it's it's a challenge week in and week out. You're never really sure what you're going to get with most of the guys on this roster. You mentioned the fans traveling. Um, I, I do think we'll see a, a, a strong contingent. They they turned out well for Chicago and Pittsburgh. The drivable chip trips. I'm just I'm curious. It, it's been I think five or six years since the Bengals played in Detroit. It was a preseason game. Do they? still have the guy singing the fight song the gridiron heroes live on the sideline <laughs> they do have the guy singing the fight song uh that's uh, still one of the staples they still do the uh they play the still play the lion king song and have kids people hold up their kids uh so it's still yeah there's still not a whole lot's changed i don't think with the game presentation <laughs> i don't know that that guy's ever going away i know uh <laughs> Matthew Stafford's wife, Kelly, used to complain about the fight song on social media, but uh, people seem to enjoy singing it when they – they don't get to sing it a lot these days because they don't score a lot of touchdowns, but he's still there. The last time we came to Detroit was the game that had the greatest catch I've ever seen in person, and you had a lot of great Calvin Johnson mm. coverage going into Hall of in, into the Hall of Fame. Um, this past offseason that I re- recommend people go and go and check out because um, I- I've never seen anything quite like it. Uh, but it I did would that end up number one on Calvin's list? The going over the top of three Bengals on the deep ball in the end zone in that game. Uh, that is a good question. I'm I, I to thought it was in the top pull it couple, up, but I can't. I, I thought it was in the top couple, but I couldn't <laughs> remember if he there. ended yeah, up yeah, having yeah. it number one. Uh, and. Uh, I can't imagine there being too many better, greater than that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to find the list now. But, yeah, the, it, it's, it was kind of wild to go back through because he had that catch against the Bengals, and he had, like, three or four others that were kind of like that. Where <laughs> he just sort of heaved it up to to him and, you know, two or three defenders around him, and he went up, and it was basically a, basically a Hail Mary, and he went up and made the catch. So um, the, one at, the one at Dallas might have been the number one one. Uh, or number two. So yeah, it was the, those two were right at the top. Um, but yeah, he was. Uh, it was fun to go back and and talk to him about those catches and to sort of reminisce about it. And and it's all and that's just to tie into the discussion we're having. Like that's always part of the dis- conversation with Calvin Johnson too. Is like, well, how did how long were you at it before you realized that this wasn't going to happen? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> how how many of those losses could you take? And uh, he eventually. You know, between the the team and his health, uh, kind of decided to bail. But um, yeah, they uh, cert- he probably would be their number one receiver right now if he wanted to come back and play at <laughs> no seven years old. So, uh, but before I let you go, I want to ask you one last question, just as uh, uh, about a sports city, it, just from your angle. How how much does the city and the the frustration feed off across sports? We see it here. The Reds haven't advanced in the postseason since 1995, and the Bengals last 
postseason victory was in 1991, and uh, FC Cincinnati has joined the fray lately, and they can't even win a game. How much does that go across Detroit? Does it, do you feel like that the struggles feed into the way fans view the team there? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's definitely part of it. It's kind of an exciting time here, I think, because you know you kind of get the feeling that most of these teams are back on the upswing. Um, I don't know. It was sort of. It's been sort of some weird stretches, like starting in the like the late '90s. There, the Red Wings were dominant, and then the Tigers got got really good for you know like eight to ten years and then every team went into a rebuild at exactly the same time and so now it's been you know five or six years now where the uh, you know the pistons made the playoffs once but the tigers have been picking number one number two and the red wings have been bad for a while and the lions obviously are where they are so i i mean i think it has it it people certainly have felt that across the board and i think it has kind of drained um drain the energy i mean in a lot of ways uh the lions kind of drive that for the city like if the lions are good it kind of carries over to everything else especially like in the fall and winter with the red wings and the pistons if the lions are going well that energy definitely translates to other sports and so like i said i think this is kind of exciting even though the lions are 0 five you you get the sense that this coaching staff and this front office has some sort of idea what it's doing and the other three teams, you know, the Pistons just had the number one pick and the Red Wings, I think, are maybe not contenders this year, but sort of inching back towards the playoffs. And the Tigers were better than everyone thought they were going to be this year. So it's sort of back on that upswing. And I, I think there's uh, some renewed hope here, at least, that, you know, the next five years will be a lot better than the past five years. You you say that this coach in this front office have some kind of idea what they're doing, almost as a suggestion that the previous didn't. But I don't <laughs> no. think we should go into no. that. We we don't need to go into that at, no at, at this. That's for another day, uh, Chris. I'm very much looking forward to coming up to Detroit. It's such a always such a fun atmosphere up there. I love Ford Field, and um, should be a very fun game when these two teams get together. I may be the only one excited about it, but I think it's going to be great. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to seeing you guys. All right, great catching up with Chris. And I mean, honestly, do do this for me. Go to The Athletic and, and go to Chris's name and just pick any story. Pick any story. Go in, read it. You'll read it one because it's great. And he's he's a fantastic writer and reporter. And then just change Detroit to Cincinnati <laughs> on everyone. And tell me if it sounds familiar. It's, it's just wild. It's one of my favorite games to play. Uh, whenever I am I, – I love – I like following Chris on the site because I love seeing his story ideas. He always has really interesting story ideas and does a great job executing them and everything else. And then and they always play across markets. It always plays across markets. And so I love it's one of the reasons that I, I really enjoy Chris a lot. You said something earlier when you were talking about third downs. You said it could always get worse. And I was thinking, you know, that Cincinnati and Charlotte kind of share the moniker Queen City. I think if they, you could put that same slogan on Cincinnati and Detroit, that could be their, their unofficial city slogan. It can always get worse. It can always get worse. <laughs> oh, it's so true. It's so true. If only Marv would have ended up there. If only Marv oh, yeah, that would have been perfect. Oh, my goodness. All right. Let's, um, Let's talk about this game a little bit more directly now. Jay, you've got stats, right? You've got some stats for me on the last time they were favored by this much on the road? Yeah, they're, they're three-and-a-half-point favorites. Um, they have not been favored by that much in a road game in five years. 
since they went to Cleveland in 2016. And the, the, the last five games, they've been favored by three and a half or more. They've won and they've won eight of their last nine. They're 15 and three in these situations going back to November of 2003. So when they get favored on the road, they usually take care of business. That's interesting when put up against the Aaron Rodgers stats we dropped about last week when he was favored by between two and a half and four and a half on the road. He was an even split. 13 and 12 is kind of right down the middle. Whereas the Bengals, man, they get that one up on the road and they're ready to go, apparently. <laughs> now, a lot I of mean, these were, a lot of those were in those playoff years. But I mean, Aaron Rodgers obviously is going to the playoffs right. every year, too. So, but it, uh, yeah, I guess it is if, if they're good enough to get favored on the road, they do take care of business in most situations. We shall see if that's going to be the case here. I, this, I don't know about you, Jay. To me, this feels absolutely like ugly, down to the wire. I mean, these two teams have played the same games all year. Mm-hmm. They have played games decided by a field goal. I mean, the Bengals have four of their five games decided by three points or less. The Lions have had games almost decided by a field goal with getting walked off on twice from 50-plus, including the 66er by Justin Tucker. I mean, the, when two teams play the same type of game over and over again and then play each other, why am I to think it's going to be anything other than that type of game? I mean, you mentioned it Tuesday. 19 games this year have come down to the – have been decided on the final play, five of them from the Bengals and Lions. <laughs> More than 25% from just these two teams. So, yeah, it, it feels like that's what's going to be the case on Sunday as well. And, and you know, we heard Chris talk about a defense that has has had some success in some spots and had, and been able to stop a team for a half and, 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 and show s- some signs despite all their injuries. Sound familiar for the Bengals' offense? I mean, maybe a half, another slow start, and Detroit gets out in front a little bit, and then they come up and it ends up coming down to the wire. I mean – it's just there's so many signs that point to that type of game, you know. And people were, were you know, we were talking to Zach Taylor about it on Wednesday about oh, you, do you need to win decisive whatever? I mean, he's like, no, we need to win seven to six, forty one to seven. It don't matter. Like we we have to win. That's all because I, it's hard to believe. I just the Lions just have they've gotten beat a couple of times, but it's. I I just don't see this being a thing where the Lions are just going to get rolled up on. I, I just no. I just don't see that. That's not who. That's not really who they've been, despite how bad they are and injured they are. the The Bengals are two fifteen and one under Zach on the road. <clears throat> if they can figure out a way to win this, they all of a sudden have a winning streak in prime time. They have a winning streak against Pittsburgh, and they have a winning streak on the road. If they can pull this one off, it's possible. Um, let's get into run passer boot. Okay. Jay, you got a run passer boot for me? I do. Uh, which, which of these numbers will be larger on Sunday? Lions running back DeAndre Swift's receiving yards. He is their leading receiver, both in terms of catches and yards. The longest completion by either team or Evan McPherson's longest field goal now that he's moving indoors and doesn't have to worry about the wind. <laughs> this is hard. It is. This is hard. I mean, the, you know, the Bengals have consistently had these long touchdown passes to chase. Uh, 
So you you think that that can continue. DeAndre Swift's averaging 50.4 receiving mm-hmm. yards a game. Yes. We know McPherson, you know, can be up in the 50s very easily as long of 56. Um, I am going to run with Swift receiving yards. I'm going to pass on Evan McPherson's long field goal, and I'm going to boot the longest completion. I do think teams are, at this point, have to start playing against that. They just have to stop letting Jamar Chase run by them. Yeah, but then maybe T. Higgins runs by him. Facts. Yeah, that's fair. But you're, I, I do agree with you. I, I that'll be that would be my boot as well. Um, I, I'm going to run with McPherson's longest field goal. I just, I, I think he's got that makeup about him where he's going to come back. They, they said they trust him. I believe him. Um, there's probably going to be a situation where they're into the game or into the half where they 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 don't get quite as far as they they want to and they'll line him up for a long one um even though swift is their longest or their their best receiver it's only by a nudge over tight end TJ Hawkinson um i, I could see him being the bigger target against this Bengals defense so I'll, I'll run with McPherson field goal. I'll pass on Swift receiving yards, and I'll, I'll boot the largest, longest completion by either team. I don't, I don't, I don't think that gets over forty on Sunday. All right, um, we'll track that for you and and recap it next week. Uh, Bengals growler bet. Not happy that everybody keeps winning. <laughs> I'm done with that. Done with the J. I need to be Super. more so closes and less craps. so let's go this week here's what here's here's what we're going to do Bengals growler bet you got to get both of these right i need both of these numbers correct on the Bengals offense third down percentage to one decimal so 66.6 that's where you're going third down percentage and First quarter snaps. How many first quarter snaps for the Bengals offense? And what for the game is their third down conversion percentage? Those two numbers I need correct. You can email me, pdaner at theathletic.com, or pull, you can do hashtag Bengals Growler bet to us on Twitter. Um, and you can come just drop either of those there. When you send an email, please put Growler in the subject head. If you get it both correct, then, hey, congratulations. Delicious 50 West beer. And you'll join a big crowd of people who are getting it, which is really concerning. Um, I love Jay, this growler bet because it you you kind of sneak in the element of the coin toss with the first quarter snaps. Oh, because the coin toss. You, you figure if they lose the coin toss, they'll end up receiving because um, Detroit will defer. So that, that gives you more chances at, at, at running plays. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go 14 first quarter snaps and 50 percent on third down. I'll I'll say I'll say 33 percent on third down. I don't think they're gonna fix it yet. And you mentioned Detroit being good in that in that area. Mm-hmm. And I'll say nine. Nine first quarter snaps. Well, three no, three and outs. No, no. I, 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 yeah, I won't. I'll, I'll say, I'll say twelve. Okay. 
Uh, that's my uh, a pessimistic view, I guess, uh, of of what I think we will see, er, particularly early against the Lions. Like we said, I, I I think that you can absolutely see another slow start and all those things, and and uh, you know, the opposite would be very encouraging. And, yeah, well, and Jesse not- Bates talked about this, like again. These two teams know a little bit about each other. Knows what it's like to be zero and five, right? These these a lot of guys on this team know what it's like to be bad early in the year, and be seeking that first win. And how demoralizing it is when you get down early in that situation as a player, and it's just really tough. I, I it will be critical if you want this to be anything other than what we've described already. It has to happen immediately because you can put them you can put them hanging heads down at that point if if you get up early. That's that that is the key. Just that they have not been very good at that. That's another reason why this growler bet's so great because you said it your your picks were pessimistic, but not necessarily. Maybe they win the coin toss, they defer, get a three and out, and then they do a twelve play, seventy five yard drive and take a seven nothing lead and, and start fast for a change and and do what jesse bates was mentioning where you get on top of a team like this and it can make a big difference i also think you're more willing to go for it on fourth down this week when the lions offense struggles and you feel like you're not as worried about giving aaron Rodgers field position the other way so if you end up in these situations like they god they did five times uh, against the packers where you're in that mid-range between that 38 and 45 and you're in a fourth down you can go for it more like they did twice last week, which both ended up in touchdown drives um, when they converted on fourth down. I think you could, you're more willing to do that this week than there was hesitance, obviously, last week because of they were worried about setting Aaron Rodgers up on short field so much. So not so much this week. So maybe more aggression in there can help flip things over for them as well. Um, let's get to predictions. What do you got? McPherson at the gun. Yeah, it feels like that, doesn't it? 24-21. Well, you got to go 24 at this point. Like, it's yes. hard not to, right? How many times in a row are you going to end up in that space? Um, I'm saying Bengals 21, Lions 18. <laughs> Six so. field goals for Austin Seibert? Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how they get there. Some combination, maybe a maybe a missed PATs involved. Uh, I don't know, but I just I, it feels like it's going to sound weird at the end, and I don't think the Bengals are going to. I think the Bengals will take advantage of their red zone again a little bit, and uh, and win twenty one eighteen. So I wonder if that, they've ever won a game twenty one eighteen. Feels like you just gave yourself homework. Yep, I did. all right we will of course be back with the walkout from detroit as jay and i will both be up there so please check back with us after the game on sunday if you're driving up enjoy be safe all of those things um and we will talk to you after the game on sunday hope everybody has enjoyed this episode to hear that podcast growling talk to you next time